So he said that those Jews that believe Judaism is a religion, it's about God and serving God, they have no problem with that. But who do they have a problem with? He was very clear. The Zionists, he didn't. He he said, we don't like Zionists. That's what he said. We don't like the Israelis. We don't like Zionists. If you're not one of them, we have no issues with you. We'll take you as who you are. And did he explain what he understands a Zionist to be? I mean, he did say that he, clearly it's not somebody who believes that Judaism is merely a religion. Those people he has no problem with. So it's somebody that thinks that Judaism is more than a religion, and he's definitely right about that. Did he expound on that at all? Welcome to Committing High Reason, a podcast where we dissect important topics such as good versus evil, religion versus no religion, Zionism versus Judaism, and our pet peeve, political propaganda. Committing High Reason will give you tools to strengthen your intellectual independence, enhance your critical thinking, and hopefully acquire some very new perspectives. Now, here's your host, Rabbi Yaakov Shapiro. One of Zionists' most important propaganda points is that the only reason Israel has enemies is because the enemies are anti-Semites. They'll never say that Israel's doing anything controversial or even that, well, lots of countries have enemies. The United States has enemies. France has enemies. England has enemies. The only country that's not allowed to have enemies because of political reasons is Israel. The only reason... Israel has enemies is because the enemies are anti-Semites. That's what they expect you to believe. The reason they want you to believe that is because the truth is, originally Zionism was supposed to eliminate anti-Semitism. The Zionists believe that as soon as Israel starts to exist, or according to Herzl, even before Israel starts to exist, as soon as Zionism gets off the ground, there will be no more anti-Semitism. The only reason why people hate the Jews is because They have no country. They're not really a people, a nationality. They're kind of rootless wanderers. Now, obviously, that didn't work out too well for them. Anti-Semitism is still here. And worse yet, Israel, because Israel has political enemies, namely the Arabs and other people that side with them, Jews suffer. Statistics show that whenever Israel does something controversial or something opposed, Attacks on Jewish people and anti-Semitism all over the world go up. And when Israel is not involved in anything controversial, when Israel behaves in in the eyes of the world, then attacks on Jews and anti-Semitism goes down all over the world. This is because Israel claims to be not merely the state of the Israelis, not to be merely a country like all other countries, but the state of the Jews. And the formula is simple. We had a China virus and people, therefore, bad actors, to be sure, criminals, beat up people, Americans, Chinese Americans here in America because they are angry at China. And similarly, if somebody's angry at Israel, criminals, bad actors, and there are bad actors, people who are angry at Israel would, the same type of people would beat up Israelis. But instead of beating up Israelis, They beat up Jews because Israel is not the country of the Israelis. It's the country of the Jews, according to Zionists. Bad actors who are angry at Israel would normally take out their ire on Israelis. But instead, they take out their ire on Jews, American Jews, English Jews, French Jews. We have nothing to do with Israel. And that's because Israel gives us a bad reputation. They tie us to their country. In other words, they believe Jews are Zionists. And that's why these actors, when they're angry at Israel, they attack Jews. There are, however, many others 
who understand the difference between Jews and Zionists. And even if they don't like Israel, even if they don't like Zionism or Zionists, they have nothing against Jews. And I see this all the time. Our job, therefore, is to tell the world to disabuse the mistaken people of this mistaken impression that Israel is the country of the Jews and explain to them Israel does not represent the Jews, Israel is the country of the Israelis, and despite what Israel and Zionists say, our country is our country. My country is the United States of America, not Israel. I have nothing to do with Israel, nothing to do with Zionism. And we've had guests previously on our show that have had this experience where they were in an Arab country or met Arabs and they heard from them clearly. If you're Jewish, we don't care as long as you're not a Zionist. Now, I don't look far and wide for people with such experiences. Every single one of them just fell into my lap, my neighbors, my friends, people who approached me. Today, again, we have a soldier in the United States Air Force, an Orthodox Jew who spent time in Afghanistan and Qatar. And his experience demonstrates the tension between Zionism, which claims that Jews are connected to Israel, that Israel is their country, versus the reality that Jews are connected to God and their religion, and Israel is only the country of the Israelis. Sometimes even, the Muslims, the Arabs, understand this much better than Zionist Jews. Our guest today is Baruch Mordechai, United States citizen and United States veteran of the USAF, United States Air Force. He did service in Afghanistan and in Qatar. Totally Orthodox Jew, learned in Koyal after his service in the Air Force, and today he's an English teacher in a yeshiva, right? right. And Borch Mordechai has a story to tell us about the tension that he experienced regarding being a Jewish soldier in an American army for some strange reason. Tell us about that, Borch Mordechai. Thanks for having me on. So I, I would say, first of all, just to clarify that point, I don't think anyone in the military saw me as a foreigner. I think it was more when I came home or when I was on leave. I came back to my community and the questions were, why did you join the United States military? Why didn't you join the IDF? That would make more logical sense. That was always the question that was posed to me. Okay, but in the Air Force itself, nobody looked at it like that. Nobody asked you that question. No, no one in, in the military saw that at all. I was a regular airman. I, was, I had weird food habits and sleep habits, and I learned things that they didn't understand. But besides that, I was just like everybody else. I signed up, served, served my country, took an oath or an affirmation, really, to defend the Constitution, and we all did, and went and did our job, and that was it. So who are the people that expressed bewilderment at the fact that you, a United States citizen, would join the United States Army. What a strange thing for, for some people to see. Who are these people? <laughs> so I, I found it more when I came back to my community. Some people who I'd spoken to before I had decided to enlist made these comments, you know, why don't you join the IDF? Why would you join the American military? Like in, in bewilderment, why would you join the American military? And these were Jewish people, right? Yes, these were Jews. In my, in my community, I meant the Jewish community. Zionists. Uh, apparently, apparently, conf- yeah. And and what would why would what would go through a person's mind to induce him to ask a United States citizen who wants to join the United States Air Force, totally committed to Orthodox Judaism? It's not like you're going off to the army to get rid of your religion. Totally committed, and they're asking you why would you want to join your country's army? More than that, they're asking you why would you want to join my country's army? 
because these are Americans that are asking you this, right? Right. So you and the person asking you this are both Americans, and here's one American citizen who's asking another American who's going to the Air Force to protect the first citizen. Why do you want to protect me? Go protect foreigners in a foreign country who you were never born and you're not a citizen of. Why? What, what was going through their mind? I couldn't answer for what's going through their mind, obviously. But I would always say, you know, if I was going to join a foreign military, Australia would be on my list because the benefits and the pay are probably <laughs> the best anywhere in the world. And they actively recruit, you know, foreign troops and you get a passport out of it. You get great benefits. They pay is extremely high for the military over there. So if it made any logical sense to go anywhere else, it made sense to go to Australia, a place I have no shaykhs to, I've never been to, I have no plan to go to, and I personally don't really like the country. I have anything favorable about the country, but that would have made more sense to me than anywhere else. Was this a lot of people, just a couple of people, or certain certain type of people? Like, what? I mean, it, it came up all, all the time. You know, I was people who hadn't seen me in, you know, seven months and say, hey, where have you been? And I said, you know, I, I joined the military and I was overseas for six months. And they said, oh, what unit were you in? And it's like, what kind of question is that? Do you have there's like hundreds of units in the American military? I mean, my unit had like 250 people in it. How would you at all know if I mentioned to you what unit that is, the 35 something, whatever, how would you, why would you? And then I realized, you know, they're talking about, they want to hear Golani, they want to hear Tzantzchanim, whatever the names are, these famous by the Zionist units that they hear. I didn't know about them, but they wanted to hear. So why would you know? Are you a paratrooper? Were you in Golani? Were you in, which beret color did you have? I said, I don't have a beret. What are, you, what are you talking about? Do they still have green berets in the army? It's, but it's a unit. It's a, it's a unit. That's like a special forces, green berets. Right. right, they have that. Yeah, I didn't get a beret. I mean, special forces get berets. So I didn't get a beret. But yeah, they would ask me, it was just automatically assumed, oh, you must have gone to the Israeli army. And what do you tell these people when they ask such a question? No, I went to the American military. I mean, f- first of all, you'd have to look at why do people join the military? So I would say, I w- in America at least, I-, I think the driving force is pay, benefits, experience, pensions, things like that. I- the pay was extremely well. They paid for me to learn in COLA for four years now I'm through the GI Bill. Um, they wow. paid for my Explain life insurance. Explain that. How, how does that work? How does that work? GI Bill is now they, paying... They you pay ha- you to go to college. So and COLA qualifies as college. college. If you're going for a BTL, you're in college and they give you a stipend for it. They pay you. They pay your tuition, which if, you know, the you can get FAFSA as well. I mean, it's, it's fantastic. The U.S. Army could be a great supporter of Torah and Judaism. It has been, and it continues to be, and it's continuously, you know, for me, it ended last semester, but it's been fantastic. It's you know, Hashem, I'm very happy with it. And they don't even draft you. They're, they're not even trying to draft they're you. They're not even trying, but I think if more people knew about it, they would maybe consider it. Uh, maybe it's a good idea. So, so back to the point is, why do people join the military? At least in America, it's, I mean, the people I met, it was, they were patriotic. They love their country. But the driving force was, this is going to bring them up economically. This is going to build opportunities for them. This is going to give them an opportunity to travel, see the world, leave their s- small farm towns that they're from, whatever the case might be. Give them good training that they could take into the civilian world. And for me, the motivating factor was was also that I, I needed money. I wanted to return to yeshiva. And this was a way to, if I figured, if I you know put in some time in the reserves here, I'm going to get it a lot back in, in return for this. So... Uh, it was like a no-brainer for me. That was that was the motivating factor. Were there a lot of Orthodox Jews in the army? No, no. 
No, like, I mean there are there are definitely in the military Orthodox Jews, and we're in, you know we're in touch with each other. It's mostly chaplains. It was kind of a rarity being enlisted, but now it's you see it more a little bit more now. But we're in touch with each other. We run we run shilas by each other. You know how how did you you went to this space? What did you do for food? What did you do for Shabbos over here? You know different things. Oh, is there anything left in the bit in the connex? You know like a container for Jewish. Oh, I left matzah. It's going to be good for for this space. Like don't schlep matzah. You only have so much. There's candles over there. Sadarim over there. There's us farm over there, you know things like that. We we talk to each other. There's different ways to communicate. And what did you do in the army? You were a pilot or something? No, so that's that's a question I always get. Oh, Air Force, you must have flown planes. So no, I was enlisted. So enlisted doesn't fly. My job was simply logistics. Fell into logistics, and simply put, is we we loaded and unloaded cargo planes with cargo and troops. That was pretty much it. We ran the airport. So imagine JFK, but it's military run. So all the workers there would be in the military. And they'd all be trained by the system I was trained in. And there weren't many Orthodox Jews enlisted. Um, it's it's more common that you'll see Orthodox Jews as as doctors or as lawyers mm-hmm. or as chaplains or intel officers of college degrees and background. Enlisted means you didn't go to college, don't have the college degree. So, and you're starting at the bottom. Is there a reason for that? Because there's so many Orthodox Jews that don't go to college, and I could see they could benefit greatly from this army experience. That's true, and I think with a with a BTL, I think you would qualify to be an officer, possibly. So, I, I didn't, I didn't, I was younger, so I didn't finish that. It could, it could be a very good option. Also, I went in specifically to the reserves. To go in the reserves, you either have to be enlisted and go into the reserves, or you have to be prior service. You have to be prior active duty or prior enlisted. Or reserves. So since I was, I didn't want to do the active duty. I just wanted to go in. This this was the best option for me. And but no, nobody in the USAF, no fellow soldiers, wondered why you're in the U.S. Army. No, I never had that. No, I was. I'm born here. My father is born here. My my Zadie's born here. I mean, my family's been in America since 1888. Wow. Yeah, so we've we've been here for a long time. My Zadie is a veteran of, of, of World War II. He was drafted. Uh, my father actually got a yeshiva deferment. And, you know, it's funny because he— Vietnam? Vietnam. Vietnam. He got a yeshiva deferment. Mm-hmm. I definitely went to the military to continue my yeshiva, but that's right. how that works out. But, and so, we so it's a actually, win-win situation. If you're in yeshiva, they won't draft you. And if you, <laughs> the, you, you join the army yourself, they'll support you in yeshiva afterwards. 100%, right. You did tours in Afghanistan and Qatar. Correct. Did you have trouble because you were Jew in those Muslim countries? No, and my my chain of command, like my sergeant, would you know was saying before we went to Qatar, he said, you know, uh, you're not bringing your your bag of Jewish stuff with you. Like, what do you call it? Because I had swarm and I had to, to fill in, probably to fill in, and then tzitzis and and whatever. And and I said, well, why not? And he said, because if they, you know, they're going to go through our bags when we get there, and there's certain things that aren't allowed in their country. And this, which country was this? This was, we were going to Qatar. Qatar. Uh huh. I just completely ignored him. And I agreed to him, and I said, of course, don't worry, I'm not going to sacrifice our mission. But I didn't think it was going to be a problem, and I just brought everything I thought I needed. For and, six and, months overseas in Qatar, and, and what happened? And nothing happened. No, they didn't. They didn't seem to care at all. I mean, first of all, they're not combing through our stuff. I knew that they were going to scan it, so it just looked like I was bringing a lot of books. I didn't think that was so weird. I don't think they're going to go through books. They're going to try to people bringing alcohol into a Muslim country, which right. was banned. Uh, 
Side note: I did get caught trying to do that later for for circus. I tried. You to, couldn't use grape juice. I could. I want whatever. You so wanted. I, I okay. wanted to get. Yeah. So I want some wine in the circus, and I got caught. <laughs> they, they scan it. They actually scan it, and they see the shows up different colors, alcohol in it. They can scan for alcohol. Yeah, so I put wine. I had someone put wine in a grape juice bottle. It came right up. So they. So you thought that they would look at the bottle and they'd see grape juice, but it was a, some kind of technology that scans alcohol. <laughs> some technology. I yes, see. So. All right. And the people in Qatar. Are Afghanistan. Did they ever ask you about your Jewishness? They're not on such great terms with Israel all the time. So it was interesting. Actually, I was there in Qatar in 2012, and there was there was a, a war going on in Gaza at the time. Mm-hmm. And I remember sitting there watching on like the CNN or the, the news, and and I'm sitting there with a the Qatari guy, and we're both watching it. And it, I was like, oh, this is interesting. Like, I wonder, wonder what he has to say about this. But he had nothing to say. Actually, interesting. A, a lot of Muslims don't realize we're Jews by looking at us. Just so the listener can understand, our guest is not only an Orthodox Jew, he looks like an Orthodox Jew. Beard, <laughs> payas, big black velvet yarmulke. Right. So I, I, it's interesting. A lot of Muslims in that part of the world where they're not experiencing America, they usually think we're Muslim. A beard and a thing on your small hat on your head is a Muslim. Mm-hmm. So they just assume you're Muslim, which is usually what I got. They, people would they would you know ask me if i was muslim and i would say no i'm jewish well that's weird why are you wearing that on your head why do you have a beard i was like because that's what jews do and so i always found that interesting so if you don't say anything you probably just pass off as as just a religious muslim no one would question anything part of my job was driving forklifts and at one point i crashed my forklift and i hurt my hand so i had to get stitches in my hand and because of that i couldn't be on the flight line driving the vehicles i had to spend like three weeks doing some sort of desk job so part of the desk job was anytime we had troops immigrating or, or immigrating in or out of the country, we'd have someone go be the liaison. They had a, like a, a cashier with the with the Qatari immigration and and would kind of subdue any issues before they came up. So that was one thing I did. And what I and so I was there for like three weeks. Every time there was a flight come in, I'd be the guy to go out and sit with the Qatari immigration officers. So uh, after a few days of working with uh, immigration, one of the officers who I had been working with every day, he he asked, started questioning me about my name. Our names on our on our military uniforms. So it's a I don't know. I guess you could say it's a Jewish sounding name or whatever. So he started asking, "Where is it from? What's your background? What's this?" I said Eastern Europe. It comes from Eastern European. It comes from German dialect. And I got really pretty quick what he was getting at. And he, and, he, and then he asked me if I wanted to have some milk. He offered me milk from his goat or something. I don't remember, whatever it was. <laughs> I thought it was very nice. And I said, you know, I, I, I appreciate it, but I, I don't drink the milk. And he said, you know, it's very rude to turn down the milk here, to turn down a gift in our culture. I said, I understand, but you have to understand where I'm coming from. I don't drink milk unless, unless I see it. It's my own thing, whatever. And he's like, well, why is it? Get pressing fast. I said, you know, so I'm a Jew and Jews don't. That's how we do. We don't drink milk unless we know it comes from a proper animal. He says, oh, you're Jewish. He says, are you, are you Israeli? I said, no, my, my nationality is American. I'm an American military, you know that. He's like, yeah, I know, but sometimes you can be American and Israeli at the same time. I said, yeah, but I'm not. I'm not Israeli. He said, well, are you a Zionist? I said, no, I'm, I'm a Jew. And he's like, oh, you know, we don't have any problems with the Jews. The religious ones, the, the people who make it a religion, we don't have a problem with. The people, we don't like the, the Zionism and, and the Israelis. We have a problem with them, and it's, it's a political issue we have with them. So that's very interesting, because I know there are many times where 
people tell me that they were asked, are you a Zionist? And people say, no, I'm, uh, I'm a Jew. We had a previous guest on a podcast who was visiting in Egypt and he asked them something. He asked the tour guide to bring him to a synagogue, which is a red flag in Egypt because maybe you want to bomb it. So they brought the inspectors, the police, whatever, to inspect him. And they saw their passports, him and his wife, and they said, are you a Zionist? So he says, no, I'm Jewish. Jews and Zionists are two completely separate things, and they were very happy for that answer. But here you're, you're telling me that they asked it a little, a lot, a lot more understanding. They said that the Jews that make it a religion, they have no problem with. Right. He was like pretty much saying, if you're telling me Judaism to you is a religion, a service to God, then yeah, we don't have a problem with that. We're, we appreciate that almost. Like, and right. then he said even further, he said, you know, as as Muslims, we don't really care so much about the Christians. We kind of hold that they're a vote of Zara. I said, I don't know about that. He's like, so we prefer you over the other guys. <laughs> no, yeah, it's true. The The Christians, it's the trinity of the Christians. That's that, what they had an issue with. Right, right. that with they mentioned the trinity. No, but he, he was uh, getting at it. Oh, that, that's it, yes. The, the God, the first cause. They have three gods, that's what they, they said. They three yeah. gods, that's the trinity. They The God of the Muslims is the same as the God of the Jews. There's, there's any questions that you can have regarding the God of the Jews, you can have regarding the God of the Muslims also. There may be some differences, and I'm not an expert in all their opinions, but it's the same first cause, Kulay Pasha, purely simple God. All right. It's the same God, the first cause, totally simple, no trinities, no pluralities, not composite, the creator of everything, the first cause of everything. So he said that those Jews that make Judaism, that believe Judaism is a religion, it's about God and serving God, they have no problem with that. But who do they have a problem with? He was very clear, the Zionists. He didn't. He he said, we don't like Zionists. That's what he said. We don't like the Israelis, we don't like Zionists. If you're not one of them, we have no issues with you. We'll take you as who you are. And did he explain what he understands a Zionist to be? I mean, he did say that he clearly it's not somebody who believes that Judaism is merely a religion. Those people he has no problem with. So it's somebody that thinks that Judaism is more of a religion, and he's definitely right about that. Did he expound on that at all? He didn't, and actually, it was it was kind of a fragile area to get into. Meaning, any relations on the base between the Americans and the Qataris, it, it was a fragile. It wasn't right. We had a very good relationship with each other, but we, no one wanted to be the guy to rock that relationship. So I didn't want to push it with anybody and be the you know the low enlisted guy who's somehow upset by saying the wrong thing. So I didn't push it. I just kind of thanks for having me, thanks for welcoming me, and you know. But you did get away with not drinking the milk. I did. I was understanding. And yeah, he was very understanding about that, which is nice. And I, then I told him, you know, it's a religious thing. So, okay, then, I, then I, I get that. Was he a religious Muslim? I didn't get into it with him. It's hard to tell. I, I mean, he tell. went out to Davin, whatever. They, to they, pray. To pray, right. They had like a guitar units and they would clear out all the chairs in the terminal. And they, they had the army hats that would turn around backwards so they could... And they would do their bowing. They would, they, you know, it's like a baseball cap. Uh -huh. hat. So, <laughs> so I always thought that was really nice. They, you know, they'd all have their hats. Otherwise, on. he'd hit his head on the. They would hit their caps, hit the, the but, visor. But when, when they're the standing, floor. they just look a bunch of cool guys with their hats backwards. So then you see your that they're, they're dolphining, they're praying, whatever. I so. see. I see. But I, you know, I had, you know, the flights would come and go at different times. So if we had a flight coming and we have 150 troops coming out, I'd be there for about 30, 40 minutes. Then we have a flight leaving another. 30 minutes, next group is coming. So it wouldn't make sense for me to go all the way back and come back. So I'd wait there, and sometimes I'd have a chavrusa through through Skype. Skype was a thing at that point. A so, study partner. Study partner. So 
you know, we we were learning. So I would say, do you mind if I learn here? I would say, no, no, okay. So, I knew you were learning uh, yeah, Torah, I, I Jewish a, I studies. Had a with me. It was all in Hebrew. He didn't care, and we were learning. And and my, my chavusa, who's that in the back? What am I hearing in the back? Oh, they're speaking Arabic. I said, well, that's weird. And I said, is it? I don't think so. <laughs> so the the Jewish guy, in, it was in America. This, right. uh, he was in America, and he thought it was weird. A lot of people think, a lot of people have a misimpression. I'm very happy that you could help straighten it out, that the Muslims, was this, Qatar? The Muslims in Qatar and in other places, they have a problem with Jews. And the reason why they're always at odds with the Israelis is because, well, Israel is Jewish and they don't like Jews. See, that's the narrative that a lot of people want to spread but that that's clearly not the case i mean i know that's not the case this is your experience too i was being as jewish as i possibly could be in front of the guy by not eating the non-kosher milk and learning tire in front of him and he was totally happy with it. he thought it was great and never experienced it before so i i, I can't prove that that wrong, more wrong and, yeah. and he said clearly that the jews see, that's the difference between zionists and jews to jews judaism is a religion that's it without the religion there's no difference between me and the non-Jewish next-door neighbor that I have. It's only God gave Moses the Torah on Mount Sinai. Without that, there is no Jews. To Zionists, Jew is a political thing. It's nationality. It's race, maybe. It's some blood family, some tribal thing. It depends which Zionist you ask. But it's, all the Zionists agree that it's more than just a religion. Getting back to this idea that people were surprised that you went to the American army, not to the Israeli army. Maybe we could judge them favorably a bit and figure that they figure that, well, it's maybe they think that the Israeli army is more hospitable to religious Jews than the American army. And maybe that's what they meant. I doubt it, but it's possible they meant that. What would you say to that if they asked you that openly? That that that's that's a good way to judge them. Maybe to say, yeah. I mean, on the on the front, you would say, yeah. Wouldn't a quote unquote Jewish army be more suitable for a Jew than a American so unquote secular, pluralistic? military separation of church and separation state army church and states but uh, Robert, the separation of church and state is what is so beneficial to us that that they're keeping the the state out of our religion is is what is so great and that carries over to the military i mean when i when when i took my affirmation to enlist the oath of enlistment they call it first of all when you, when you take that oath quote unquote the religious people don't take an oath they take an affirmation right so I was the only one at my group of like 500 people doing it, but I know there are other Christian denominations, I believe, that, that also don't say. Oh, really? Yeah, there's it's other It's not groups. only the Orthodox Jews. I can't imagine that they, they okay. changed the news like just for us. Okay. <laughs> I can't imagine. But yeah, there's other groups, I guess, that don't that don't say, they, again, they, when they say, I swear or affirm, that's the thing. Okay. So you say which one you want, mm-hmm. or whatever. But so right at the beginning, they give you that option to say, you know, follow your religion. I'm not going to force anything against you. But the, the idea that we are signing up to defend a constitution that gives us the freedoms what could be more suitable for for all religions so i never had any issues and i found that they, they're in the in the, the quote-unquote bylaws of the military they have to give you um, freedom of religion up to mission requirements you know if i'm in a war zone I, I might have to carry a gun on shabbos and and i might have to answer a radio on shabbos you know for the life and death mm-hmm. and missions you know things like that but in terms of training stateside and, th- and everything you know i had priority who got who got what day off i had to, i got priority to take shabbos off because of your religion because of my religion they say you know we i remember we went down to virginia for two weeks or something for some training in my unit and 
you know, everybody wanted Friday night off because the guys are on a vacation on the weekends and they want to go out and have a party and, 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 ex- and explore the town or whatever it was. And Friday night was a better night than Tuesday night. So everybody tried to get Friday night off. So everyone signed up for Friday night, Saturday off. So, of course, I did too. And they said, well, what's your reason? I said, religion. What's their reason? The bar. Well, religion trumps the bar. <laughs> so I got I got Shabbos off every time. Uh you know, I felt bad because I always was getting it off, but they never gave me a problem with it. They always let me have Shabbos off. And, you know, Afghanistan was easier because there was there was no party scene everyone wanted to go to. And so there was no fight. Tuesday and a Thursday were the same over there. So that was that was convenient. So there's no bars in Afghanistan. <laughs> no bars in Afghanistan. No. Although we were the only ones to have, have wine in Afghanistan. they We were allowed to bring in for the chapels, allowed to bring in kosher wine for chapel services how about like in qatar, qatar, we qatar we you're right about that right, we, we, qatar. Didn't, we didn't invade qatar we're on like a mutual you know we work we're on their base so we weren't allowed to we i had, mean you said that they were checking your bags right we had we had grape juice although there, there was areas of the base you you were allowed to have certain drinks but it was very very regulated and it was only americans can go there and there was no way a muslim could get in it was like a certain section but to just to ship in your own outside of that was very very complicated and they were not allowing it But Afghanistan, we had wine. We had wine Chavez night, and it was, it was great. We had- and the Israeli army is actually a part of its duty. Its mission is to be what Ben-Gurion called a melting pot, to take all the recruits and all the soldiers and make them into Israelis, to imbue them with Israeli culture, with Zionism, which is maybe the main reason why Orthodox Jews don't belong in the Israeli army. It's a church. It was designed to be a church of Zionism. The officer's manual mentions discussions that the officer is supposed to have with the enlisted men and includes things like, what is Judaism? Is Judaism a religion? Is it a constitution for a people? So on and so forth. I guess you wouldn't find any of that type of stuff in the American army. No, you would actually, if, if an officer was ta- or anyone above you were at all was talking about religion, they can get in trouble. It was called a prophesizing. You're not allowed to... You know, discuss other religions or or push religions on people. That's that's frowned about. You get in a lot of trouble for that. So talking about religion outside of you know happy holidays or something you know cordial was, was totally frowned upon. So I I didn't have to worry about that. Uh, that I'm going to get a hashkafa that's not from the Torah. I'm, no one's going to talk to me about religion. No one's going to try to tell me, oh Moshe Rabbeinu didn't really mean this. He meant that. That's not going to happen in the American military. So yeah, maybe they would. They would have kosher food on the IDF, but I, I, you know, I can have, I had kosher food here. I could choose the tray for kosher anytime I want, whether I'm in the military or not in the military. So that it sometimes was harder because I was, you know, off in Virginia or Texas and it wasn't like it is in, in, in New York. That made no difference. That That's like a businessman goes on a trip. He also has the decisions, does he trade for, does he kosher? So, but I don't right. have to worry about sitting in a, in a, have someone try to teach me a different hashkafa that I had to, to fight. That's a much harder fight. I didn't want that fight. I wasn't up for that fight. I don't think most people are, should be up for that fight. That's not a fight people should, should take. And that's one of the actual missions of the Israeli army. And that's, the, that's really the reason why they won't abolish the draft there. They want everybody in the army, even though they probably don't, they don't need the draft. Not even probably, they don't need the draft anymore. But they, they want everybody to serve in the army so they can synthesize the attitudes of the person and make him into a Zionist, regardless of where he was before, make him into an Israeli, a Zionist. 
Right, and you know it's interesting because I've I've been to Israel to to study there to to see kfarim, the holy places, and so forth, and and I remember seeing in the old city, like groups of soldiers coming through like on tours, and I thought, well, that's so interesting. Why are they why are they on tours? And so I asked a friend of mine who was Israeli. I said, you know what? Why do they do that? What where are they going? What are they? What's going on here? Like every Tuesday, there was a group of like fifty soldiers coming through, and, and they were giving a tour, and he said, no, we have to show them what they're defending, why they have, they have to understand these concepts. They have to, I said, why? I was in the American military. No one talk, took me to Washington, D.C. When we say concepts, this is talking about Jerusalem, the old city. The right? old city, It's yeah. not the most populated place in, in no, Israel. the Western Wall, they would take this. Yeah. The, so they're giving them religious symbols. This is in their mind, mm-hmm. what they look at them as. And they're saying, you're defending these religious symbols. This is your heritage. Now, many of these soldiers, perhaps all of them, were not religious at all. That could very well be. They didn't look religious from the outside. They didn't look religious. And these non-religious people, they're telling them that they are defending religious symbols or religious objects. As a soldier, as somebody who was a soldier, if you were in the Israeli army and if you were a non-religious person, or maybe you have a friend who's a non-religious soldier, how do you process that. You're a non-religious person. Maybe you don't believe in God. Maybe nothing. Maybe you even don't like God. But now they're taking you and they're to the old city of Jerusalem, the place where the sanctuary stood. And they're showing you the remains of the sanctuary, a few thousand years old, and they're telling you this and things like it are what you are defending. How do you process that? And part of the, my question is, if I was a soldier, I would be thinking, you should be taking me to the most populated places in Israel and say, these, see these people, see these men, see these women, see these children playing in the parks? That's what you're defending. If I would be running that country, I would bring them to the parks and to the schools and say, this is what you're defending, the lives of these people. But yet there's a this kind of religious, even if you're not religious, type of thing, or I don't know what it is. How, how do you process that? How do you think they... They absorb such such training. I mean, I'm not an expert on this, but f- f- made no sense to me because when I was in the military, they didn't t- take me to Gettysburg. They didn't take me to the Alamo. They didn't take me to, you know, Washington's grave or Kennedy's grave or house or Paul Revere. They didn't, it was, this is how you do your job. Now go do it. And if you don't want to, you took an oath, you're going to go to prison or we're going to throw you out of the military. It was, that was it. I mean, it's a job like any other job. They didn't have to you take go- me to New York and say, look how many people live here. You better do your job right. I, I mean, it's like self-understood almost that I signed up for a job and, and that's, that's what I have to do. And, if I, and they're going to just teach me how to do it better than all the enemies of the world. And it just happened that America happens to teach us better than any military in the world. That's why we have the best military because of our training. I mean, we have good assets too, best aircrafts and whatnot, but they taught us these things. They don't have to teach. It's like taking a doctor and saying, well, let's go to the patient's family and say, you better save this guy. Cause look how good of a dad he is. It doesn't make any sense. Just do your job as a doctor and save the guy's life. You don't have to understand the whole background of it. Just and they're not job. even taking him to the family. They're taking him to the, to the wall, to the wailing <laughs> wall, something that a non-religious soldier would, would not be able to relate to. Yeah. There was a book that I read the religionization of Israel by Yoav Pellet. Miko's brother. And he's one person, but there are many people and many books, a lot of scholarship on this, how Israel runs on ideology, not on practicality. Zionism is an ideology. And although they 
profess to be, and this is their advertisement, we're secular, we have beaches and go ride on camels and, you know, live the Tel Aviv life, you know. But really, at its core, Israel is a very ideological place. Now, the ideology is not Judaism, it's Zionism. The difference, obviously, in this case is that a wall, the Wailing Wall, the Kosel Marovi, it has value only to a religious person. According to Judaism, without the holiness of the wall, without religion, it's just a wall. Right. Certainly, that's not the place, certainly not more value or not more of a motivator than a park where kids are playing. And yet in Israel, it is, or they, they try to make it so. That's what they do in the army. It's a, a, a church of Zionism. And people think that Zionists are not ideological these days. They're, we're living in a post-Zionist world. But it's really not the case. That's the message that Zionists want people to think. It's a it's a no no according to Hasbara. The Hasbara rules. I'm not joking. This is like this is in the Hasbara handbook. I'm not joking. It really is. Don't mention religion. Even the phrase Jewish in regard to Israel is not going to be received well, except by Orthodox Jews and evangelicals, right? evangelicals who anyway are on board. So do, try not to mention religion, even Jewishness. Mention peace and all these secular ideas, but really that's just a front. Reality, what's motivating these people are these ideological, it's, it's what we call a civic religion. It's religion right. without God. That's right. And it's certainly not Judaism. And there's an ideological, a very deep, profound, heavy, and, and compelling ideological component to Zionism that especially if you go through the army, it's, you're indoctrinated with. And, and that's what motivates uh, Israel. That's what makes them tick. And it's, it's sad that you have an army that one would think is designed to protect. It's a security operation. That's all an army is. It's a security operation. Maybe an attacking operation, depending upon you know, which army you're talking about. But it, all it is is a military and to imbibe a military with this ideology, especially, you have to understand the psychology of this, you're talking about life and death situations, right? They're not all only loading up carts in the airports over there. You're talking about giving your life, risking your life, taking other people's lives. And when you mix that, this life and death career, or this life and death job, with this civic religion, with this ideology, it becomes much, much stronger. You need to motivate people to give their lives, to kill others. You know, soldiers, e even if they, they, they survive, there's this whole PTSD thing and, and all these things going on with the soldiers. But when it's motivated, it's supercharged on, on religion. And now it's a religious war, even though religion without God, it's a, it's a holiness and a, a heritage and stuff that's ideological more than just survive, attack, defend. What it does is it kind of blinds the soldiers and because the soldiers, the Israeli army is such a central part of Israeli society, it blinds the society to the practi practicalities of how to make peace, how to get peace, how to go to war, what's practical, what, what's going to save lives, what's, what, what's going to cost lives. And rather, the standard by which they judge strategy, what's right, what's wrong, what to do, who to elect, is largely based on what's better for Zionism. 
You know, like, like a religion, you sacrifice your life for a religion. And sometimes whether you're going to live or die is not the main consideration. It's what does your religion tell you to do? Religion tells you to die, you die. Secondarily, there's what's going to be best for me, right? So if you indoctrinate, if you instill this ideology in soldiers that are regularly involved in life or death situations, then, then what you're doing is you're creating a society that considers some ideology, in this case Zionism, an ideology what is best for the ideology? What is best for my cause? And your cause isn't just protect and defend or a pragmatic mission. It's a ideological mission. And the ideology takes over society. And it's much harder to be practical in such a case. There was this journalist for Time magazine. His name was Alsop. And it became apparent to him that the... Zionists were not really doing what's most practical to make peace. And he said to Golda Meir that you guys have a Masada complex. And Golda Meir said, yes, we have a Masada complex and a Holocaust complex and a pogroms complex and all of this. And yes, it's true, but usually people consider complexes baggage to go to psychologists for and to get rid of. The Zionists consider these complexes they're part of their identity, maybe even the core part of their identity. And they show the cell and, and they infuse this, these complexes together with this ideology of Zionism. And then they throw in a lot of Holocaust consciousness and how the whole world is only interested in killing Jews. And without Israel, Jews are all going to be killed. And it's all irrational. And the mix of all of these things in Israeli society creates... A, a very I irrational society. Right. It's an interesting point that you mentioned that, the, uh, that they're, they're trying to change it. They have like a church almost. that they're Jews are not essentially against military in itself. I mean, we probably could find other better options in joining the military, but the idea of serving in the military isn't usr. It's not a nevera. It's not a sin. It's not, it's not forbidden in itself. Unless it's dangerous. Unless, unless you could be in a, a, a Makamus. Right. Right. So, so, but the idea is, I mean, my, my great grandfather came to America because they were going to draft his son into the Tsarist military. They were going to take Come him to as, America. They were going to take him as a yid and turn mm -hmm. him out of something else. Mm -hmm. And that was what they fled from. So then his grandson joined into the American military. So it's like, what, he went a different way than his grandfather? No. <laughs> he came into the American military, go in as a yid, come out as a yid. It's, it's, he's got to do a job. That's all there is. We were against that. And they're not even going to try us. to make you into Zionist. Well, they just, we're against trying to take us from a Jew and making us not a Jew. That's what we're essentially against. Whatever you're going to try to make us into, if it's not a Jew, we're, we're probably not going to be for it. We like right. The Jews. Russians wanted them to be communists, <laughs> communists and now yeah. and now the Israelis want you to be Zionists. Right. But the American military doesn't want to do that. No. I remember what, there was actually a protest in Manhattan in 2013, in Lower Manhattan. We, we, we discussed this, but I, I, I got permission to leave base early to go to that protest. And it was protesting the draft of 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 Jews in Israel. Right. And someone asked me, like, isn't that like... I spoke to the press at that protest. Right. Someone yes. asked me, isn't that a little confusing that you, you literally took off your military uniform, put on your, quote-unquote, Jewish uniform, and then went there? Like, 
what side are you on? I said, well, I'm not against the military. I'm against someone ch- trying to put me into a system that's going to make me not Jewish anymore. That's absolutely right. I I was interviewed after that after that uh, protest, and I s- spoken at various different protests against mm-hmm. the Israeli draft, the draft of yeshiva guys into the army. And I said, it's simply because Israel's army is different than all other armies. It's not merely a military designed to attack and defend. It's a melting pot. It was designed specifically that way. Ben-Gurion said that's one of its functions, and they're, uh, that, that it, they are successful at it. And the Israeli army is a church of Zionism. And no, no country has a right to force their citizens into religious indoctrination camps. And Israel's army is a religious indoctrination camp for the religion of Zionism. And the fact that they also happen to be a military doesn't make their forced religious indoctrination any more immoral or disgusting. Right. It makes it, they did it in its most conducive way because you, mm-hmm. you, you dress everyone the same way. You tell them when to wake up, when to eat, what to eat, when to sleep, where to go, how to go. It, anywhere else that wasn't in the confines of a military would just look like a prison camp or some sort. Or what they're doing with the Muslims in Western China. You know, they put them in these indoctrination right. camps. Right, the Uyghur mili- Muslims. Yeah, they're not putting them in a... In a it would, it would, they would hide it better if they put them in the Chinese military and did all this. But they're not. And that's why people are getting outraged. Like, why are you changing these people? The, let them be God people. Why do you have to make them into so- communists over here? Yeah, the, the Israeli army is kind of a microcosm of Israeli society. And I hear what you're saying about an army being a, a place where you can really indoctrinate people and train them and change them into what you want. Every single step they take is under the control of the military. Everything they eat, when they sleep, how they sleep. You know, I had a guy here in my neighborhood, a kid. He went to the American army. He was also in the Israeli army. He said that the difference between the Israeli army and the American army is that the American army, they, you have a job to do. In the Israeli army, they try to make you into soldiers, to give you the personality of a soldier. And he said the American army really is mostly, uh, he wasn't in any wars, but mostly they were really interested in making sure that when he made his bed, it's like not too far from the wall right. stuff. You know what I'm talking yeah, about? Of course, yeah. Uh, attention and the, to detail, they call it. Right. What's they call attention it? Attention to detail. Attention to detail. The Israeli army, the main idea was we're going to make you into a warrior. You're going to be a fierce Israeli military warrior. It's like a, a personality change. And 24-7, they have you there. And more than that, the... The circumstance is so intense. You're killing. You're risking your life. You're you're taking other people's lives, it, it, and and that's what Israeli society is. Right. Something I noticed when I was when I was traveling there, I would see people like soldiers. I'm not an expert, but just from my own experience in the military, that if you're in, you're either quote unquote combat zone, which you know Qatar was considered a combat zone, even though you know there was no bullet shot, there was nothing going on, but it means you know we couldn't be drinking, we couldn't be, uh, we have to have our uniform in certain. But we were on the same side as Qatar, right? We were, we were friendly with them. We were friendly we were with their, them. Yeah, yeah we, we were at war with we them. We were at war with them. We were on their base. We were, I was on a Qatari air base. Uh, yeah, we were we were just like we'd be on any foreign military base. We're allies, allies with them, right? So like Iran was our common enemy apparently mm-hmm. at that point. So you know, Qatar was considered because there was a threat that there could be an attack. So which means they had a status that we're in combat zone, so we couldn't roll up our sleeves. We had to have our boots on all the time, you know, things like that. Where we never wore our dress uniforms, for example. But like typically every Monday, everyone wore their dress uniform. So like if you came to the base where I was in New Jersey. Mondays, I was, you know, the fancy dress uniform with my ribbons and, and my shiny shoes, and I, I showed up to work like that. Usually, I got out of it because I worked my job. I drove and worked on the flight line, so we we wore regular uniforms. But everyone else, you would, would 
be like that. So we were in a combat zone there. But when I was in, and so much so, more so when we were in Afghanistan, you know, you had a weapon with you, you had a helmet and, and vest with you. And so when we were, in, and when I went to Israel to visit, you would see like, you know, these 18 year old kids walking around in sandals and flip flops. You know, the girls with the hair down, which is something that tactically makes no sense. I mean, if you're getting into it... And they had their guns. You don't want your hair down, right? They had their guns. And they had their machine guns and their their M16s. And it's like, if if you need an M16, you're in a combat zone. You know, they didn't have me walking around to New Jersey with an M16 unless I was on gate duty or something, which I never was. But the guys at the gate had it. Once in a while, it took a few guys from my unit, put us on the gate duty. But otherwise, it never, unless it took me to the firing range, I never had a... There was no reason for it. Afghanistan, we had our weapon... You know, where we slept, it was in the shower, everything. So when, so to make any sense, here he is in sandals, which that doesn't, that doesn't even look right in a military uniform. And then he's and got, certainly not practical. And not practical. I mean, either you need the machine gun or you need to be on the beach with your sandals. Or you need your shoes. If you need the machine gun, you probably also need your shoes. Right. So why would you, and then, then they wouldn't have any ammunition with them. Which didn't no ammunition, any, just no, the gun. Just the gun. So it's like, why do you, why do you have a, we- a weapon if you don't have ammunition? It's just a big heavy stick now. So I mean, I remember guys told me they're in, Af- in Iraq in the beginning. They, you know, they they had they weren't allowed to put the, their magazine ammunition in the rifle, but they had the ammunition on them. Okay, so like it was like a step before that. You know, okay. Afghanistan we had to have our ammunition in all the time. Like the rifle had to be ready to go, but but to not have any any ammunition at all was like that doesn't make any sense. It's almost like you're showing off or you're it's symbolic it's, symbolic. it's, sure. it's a symbolic right it's uh, it doesn't it didn't make any sense and 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 i would try to ask people what why do you have a rifle without ammunition oh they can give us ammunition very quickly yeah you're gonna run down to the depot and start filling they didn't the know you were a no, u.s military a, man you just, just looked like tourist, a typical American tourist jewish guy yeah. Curious, you know, so what? again, they you asked them why they don't have ammunition. They said, "Oh, they can get it. We can get it very quick." But I knew, like when we went to the range, for example, it was like twenty minutes of taking them out of the boxes, popping the rounds one by one into this you know spring loaded magazine it was really annoying it took a long time we're sitting there for like 20 30 sometimes 40 minutes how many magazines you got to fill up so that answer was not accurate that could they give them a full full magazine I, I guess, or something but we don't usually store them like that that didn't make any store all your magazines full it didn't make any sense so it was clearly for for presentation and that they were only going in touristy areas you know where the americans and the tourists would see them i spoke to them, i said how long you know, what's the regulations with your rifle? You know, like, can you just go wherever you want with it when you have the weekend off? They said, yeah, just go wherever you want with it. I said, that's, you know, that's pretty interesting. I mean, I'm not from Texas, I'm from New York, so we don't see guns, but, you know, in Texas, I'm sure that's done. But, you know, in, in the, I never see American troops walking around America with weapons, especially if they're not on duty. Maybe if you drive near a base, you'll see them patrolling the outside. So we never see them just walking around. I never heard of anyone taking a weapon home, I would tell them. And I knew that we never take our weapons home. I mean, no sense whatsoever. Is it possible that they're in more danger, so they would need it with Couldn't say. shorter I mean, notice? I, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, you have border guards here. I don't see them taking home. Oh, border guards, I guess, like police, I guess they do take their weapons home. But the military doesn't take their weapons home here. If you need your weapon, you need your weapon, you need the ammunition. So I would ask them, you know, how long, until, how long in your service until you could take it out? So that first week. Your first week. So you're in the military, you're a civilian, day one, day seven, you go home with a rifle. That's pretty wild. That's a pretty crazy transition. I mean, when, I, when we joined America, we, we didn't go home for, I think the earliest you can go home is maybe six months after you join. You don't go home. Like your first two months is, is boot camp. 
you don't call. Well, these guys are drafted, though. I mean, right, so, you, okay, you so volunteer they, for it. Right, but I don't think, like I asked my Zadie, he was drafted. They weren't like, oh, since we're drafted, we'll let you go home every weekend. I don't think they, I see. <laughs> they were drafted. In Vietnam, drafted right. No, Zadie was drafted in World War II. And, mm-hmm. But even Vietnam guys I've spoken to, I don't, they didn't go home. There was no difference. They had it much harder than we had it, to be honest, because you know, we wanted to go. Where they had to take a bunch of guys who didn't want to go and make and make them into right. you know guys who could do their job and listen, so it didn't make any sense that you're just walking around with an M16. One of the principal reasons for the Israeli army is to make people into warriors and make Israeli society realize that yes, we need the soldiers on the street. People don't usually look at the shoes of the soldiers to see if they're wearing <laughs> sandals. It's symbolic. We have soldiers on the street and. They want people to get a feeling, oh, these soldiers are protecting you because Hitler's around the corner and he's going to blow you up at any second. And, I mean, the police really are the ones that protect the civilians. Right. In, it's, conf- it, it's confusing because in Israel. I would feel but, less safe. No, but you want, you want the soldier. I actually, when I was, was, a, was a kid, I went with my friend Coney Island one Saturday night to Astroland. Right. In the middle of the year. It wasn't on station or anything. And it was full of policemen. It was a very. It was a bad neighborhood. It was full of policemen. And I went over one of the policemen and I asked him, "I have a question. I see all these policemen here. Should I feel safe because there are so many policemen, or should I feel scared because we need so many policemen here?" So he says to me, "I don't know about you, but I'm scared stiff to be here." <laughs> so they want the people in Israel to be scared and to feel safe, both because of the soldiers being there. They want the people in Israel to know, to think that if not for the Israeli army, Jews would be wiped out. Every day we see it right in front of us. They have to be on the street and that's why nobody's bombing us because there's soldiers and sandals and the girls with their hair down. That's why they're there, these ferocious kids in sandals. That's what they want people to think. Yeah, I'm the other way. When I see the... Police here usually in New York carry pistols, but they have some units that carry M16s mm-hmm. and they have vests. And how right. I was somewhere with my wife and kids, and we saw that. And I told my wife, "Get in the van, let's get out of here." She's like, "Why?" I was like, "If they need that, we don't need to be here. I don't know what's going on, but I'm not, I'm not going to figure it out. If they need M16s, that's how I looked in Afghanistan. I don't want to be here. Let's right. get out of here. What do you? Well, maybe it's not just for show. Maybe, maybe not. I'm getting out of here, and we left. <laughs> Another interesting point is that I remember before I deployed, they give us our, our dog tags. So it says your religion mm-hmm. on it. God forbid someone's killed. They know how to properly give you mm-hmm. rights, whatever, burials. So they came back. Someone, my, my sergeant told me, you know, put down no religion on yours. I said, why? I'm a Jew. I, what I put down, I don't have a religion. He said, because if you get captured over there, God forbid, you know, they're really going to have a field day with you. Said, First of all, you think they're not cutting your head off? If they catch <laughs> what, are you kidding me? Like anyone they capture, they're going to cut our heads off. This is right? in Afghanistan. Yeah, we were, we were going to, we were going, we didn't know at that point we were going to Afghanistan. We were going to Qatar where we could either gone to Iraq or Afghanistan. Uh-huh. And we didn't, anyway, so I said, what do you think? They, they're going to, they're going to say, you know, you guys are okay. You're just a nice Americans, the Jewish Americans. I said, no, they're cutting our heads off either way. I'm going to have my head cut off as a Jew for anything. For anything, I should put down not a Zionist and maybe I'm right. have a better chance. Right. Like, they're going to have a field day if they think I'm a Zionist. I don't want to put that down. That's there. good. That's very good. Although Zionists should put a religion Zionist. Zionist. That's yeah, really they what should they should do. Down, yes, because right, that's yeah. their religion. Yeah, uh, Baruch, thank you so much for being on the show. It, it, it was a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to Committing High Reason, the podcast that brings you the thoughts that count. 
For more material from Rabbi Shapiro and for this episode's show notes and links, head on over to www.committinghighreason.com.